Let's Talk Crypto with Gabrielle Haynes. We are here with Fiscantes, a DeFi super user, I will call him that, and also an investor in crypto projects. And we're here to chat about all things DeFi. How are you doing today? I'm quite fine. Thank you. Um, it's a sunny day outside, so I'm happy to sit in my room and chat with you. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So tell me a little bit about uh, your background and um, maybe how you got into crypto. I know that you were a poker player back in the day, and that was kind of the fir first brushes, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, tell me... Correct. Tell me where you are today. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was playing poker professionally for a couple of years uh, during my college days. And um, yeah, I studied law, but I realized it's super boring for me. You know, all these papers and paragraphs and um, long winded uh, disputes about various uh, nitty gritty details of, of legal subjects. So. Um, you know, compared to that, playing poker was thrilling and like super fun and I could make much more money than like some junior um, lawyer. So I basically, after like two years, I, um, I gave up my studies and went full time on poker. Um, and during that time, I also, I, I was dabbling with investments. It was mostly on stock markets. I, I was playing with my own like small mm, portfolio. I was trying to, you know, uh, find uh, hidden gems on stock markets and then play various events. Um, I remember, I remember, I was buying some Japanese stocks when uh, when Fukushima hit, um, with the thesis that you know these stocks were plunging and um, after they will have like swift recovery and that didn't happen and I lost a lot of money there. Um, there, there were a couple of, of early, um, early lessons I learned about investing even before crypto. And then, you know, when I played poker, there were some Asian poker rooms that were quite, uh, um, let's say, unorthodox and they accepted only Bitcoin. So I had to learn how to, how to work with Bitcoin and I, I didn't think about it as some sort of an investment. It was just another PayPal for me, but much more clumsy to use and, and you know sometimes volatile which i kind of i resented it you know the last thing you want as a poker player which is actually a very like volatile career by itself the last thing you want is to have your currency volatile as well and kind of add to the stress so i was pretty bearish on bitcoin for this reason i thought it can never work for the for the long run as a currency or anything like this um yeah, I also, I mean, I, I think I forgot like 16 BTC or something like that on one of these poker rooms and then they shut down and um, I don't think I can ever get, uh, get those back. Um, so yeah, but I mean, then later in like 2016, I, I remembered that, you know, there is this thing called crypto and, and Bitcoin and I kind of got back to it, curious what's going on. I, I think I heard some... Um, uh, some lectures or video um, uh, videos from uh, Antonov, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, and I really dig the ideology of like um, 
cypherpunk and, and be your own bank so i really like that one i was like okay now i get bitcoin a bit more so i started to um, get involved more um, with some local hackers in, in in my country who were also into it you know i, I went to these meetups and started to learn more about ideology uh, behind cryptocurrencies and then i found ethereum in like 2000 end of 2016 and that was really interesting because it wasn't just about sending some some uh, units uh, from one account to another but also creating smart contracts and at that point i was yeah basically i i, I discovered icos pretty quickly and and from that on you know I got involved pretty deeply. Um, I basically start, started to like spend more and more time um, researching these things and less time on my other projects and businesses and investments I had at the time. And, and then in like middle of 2017 or end of 2017, I quit everything else and just went full, full time into crypto with different projects. Most notably, you know, I started investing more professionally um, and yeah, here we are today. Um, I'm partner at Z Prime Capital, which is notoriously known um, um, crypto VC, super cool and chill, as we as we like to claim <laughs> on our website, right? Um, we don't really want to like um, uh, be like the other VCs, like taking ourselves too seriously, and uh, we, we are like a huge meme lords. We like to support our projects by by creating memes around them and and help them with with narratives as well as everything else. Um, so yeah, apart from that, uh, I also um, I also direct another investment, like private investment fund, um, which is which is not as well known, I would say, but you know it's it's also pretty significant in in europe um and this other fund is called sigil and it's pretty yeah it's it's kind of it's liquid only or mostly liquid which means that this is not a vc fund we are not like interacting with with founders too much and we are not like uh, um you know supporting them from from seed stage uh, forward uh, we are basically playing DeFi most of the time, or uh, we do staking, we do a lot of these uh, active uh, network participation um, bets where we can provide liquidity or stake or do these other things that, that you can do on, on liquid public market. And you don't even need to speak to anyone. You just buy the tokens, you stake them somewhere, or, you know, you provide liquidity or you you kind of you figure out what, what else can you do within the crypto ecosystem which I, I find very cool as well that you know you can run this kind of operation or this kind of activity from anywhere in the world you don't you don't need to know anyone you don't have to speak to anyone and you just you just try to figure out the best way to play the game um, that being said uh, this other fund is also not like trading very heavily uh, we are also long-term uh, focused which means that our positions are usually um for a year or more and yeah we are also trying to help the ecosystem by like doing all these activities that that are net positive for the space we believe like staking um so this is a lesser known uh project i'm involved in uh, other than that i try to help uh, and this is you know i have like these two sides i would say one is uh, this like uh, uh crypto 
VC who wants to be in touch with founders and help them early on and be like involved in the projects early. And my other side is this <laughs> still the poker player uh, kind of side, I would say, where we try to play liquid markets and figure out the best ways to play them. And it's kind of sometimes it feels a bit uh, uh, schizophrenic, you know, that I have these two personalities which sometimes are in conflict. And I think it also shows in my like public appearance. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's a great fun. It's it's a lot of pressure sometimes. It's I'm I'm very busy and I I wish I had more time to maybe dig a bit deeper into some of the projects we already invested. But you know there is still a new game on the horizon, so I need to balance these two activities out quite well, which which is which is challenging. Um, a lot uh, I want to talk about there. What's the name of your project? Sigil? I, I haven't heard of it. Was it it's, Sigil? It's uh, it's uh, investment fund. It's I mean we pronounce it Sigil, but I think Sigil um, <laughs> should be the actual pronunciation. You know we are not uh, native English speakers, so <laughs> we basically uh, we we started to call it Sigil, um, okay. <laughs> and it's based it's based on you know this. Uh, uh, this uh, old school RPG Planescape Torment, um, where the city of doors is called Sigil, is the city that leads to many different dimensions in the in that realm. So yeah, it's part of the D and D universe, which is like nerdy reference a bit. I don't think like many of of listeners will know that one, but yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, so. We uh, speaking of nerdy references, why do you love Hunter Hunter? Um, actually, I mean, I, I <laughs> for the longest time I wasn't a big fan of uh, anime. Uh, I was like, you know, I, I because of the pictures there, you know, which are kind of infantile. I always thought that it's mostly for kids, so it's like too silly. And then my girlfriend uh, showed me some uh, some like anime shows which were really good and they weren't for kids at all. It was like um, it was really heavy and, and deep, uh, you know, story. Um, uh, I'm speaking about Death Note. And then we started to look for more animes to watch because I was like I was I was addicted at that point. And yeah, we found Hunter x Hunter together and we watched the whole series in a bunch. Um, and yeah, it was, I think it's still one of my most favorites animes, if not the most favorite. And yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the Hisoka character is, <laughs> is super controversial and to, to have as a brand. And um, I, just, I just love the chaotic side or, or the chaotic element it represents, you know, that um, one episode he's your enemy, the other episode he's your ally for some reason and you cannot figure him out really well and you know this is like partially I mean I'm he's definitely evil right uh, but partially I wanted to reflect this chaotic element uh, into my personal brand let's say um, because you know it's crypto and crypto is super chaotic and all these influencers and all these like Twitter personas you know they they say one thing and sometimes do the other, you know, they dump on you while um, while endorsing some projects, you know, they have some hidden agenda. And uh, I mean, mo I'm not saying like 
most of them do, but some definitely do. And I just wanted to have this brand as a warning for that, you know, and I also have a disclaimer that, you know, I sometimes argue about stuff, not because I really deeply believe in the opinion I'm arguing for, but because, you know, first I find it fun. You know, I like, you know, discussing these things and debating and playing devil's advocate, but also I'm learning a lot doing that. Uh, so, yeah, so one day I may argue for, I don't know, for ethos and values of, of Ethereum ecosystem and against all these uh, other ETH killers like Binance March and, and the other, you may see me tweeting something really positive about, about ETH killers, about Binance Smart Chain and, and other things that may be controversial. And, you know, it's, I, I just want to reflect that in the brand. So that's why I chose uh, Hisoka as this chaotic element. You cannot really figure out and, you know, comprehend what he will do next. It reminds me of the Bruce Lee quote, be like water. Yeah, I have that one, or I had it in, in my links as well. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, it's also part of that kind of philosophy, if you can call it that. What is, um, I want to talk a little bit about your anonymity. Um, is, there, is there any story behind your name, Viscontis? Uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, I have this nickname um, from super early gaming days when I was like maybe 15 or less, even less, I guess. I played World of Warcraft, I played some other games and um, yeah, I, I frequent in some, some gaming forums, uh, discussion forums, and I wanted to have a nickname um, which was unique, uh, meaning that it wouldn't mean anything in any language. So if you Googled it, you would find only basically me or, or like my posts or something, which, uh, um, I mean, it worked out quite well, I would say. Um, there is, it's not, it doesn't have a special story. Just one thing is that uh, the first part, Fisk, uh, it, it has a meaning, I think in Norwegian, it, it means fish. Um, so I like that and, uh, um, but this wasn't the reason I, I chose it. Um, there was this character in another game called Gothic, uh, um, called Fisk. This, this Fisk was uh, a merchant in an old camp. Um, and he was like, he was this sly, funny character, which I kind of liked. So I, I took that part and aunties, it was just, you know, something I added because it sounded Greek, you know, something from, from Greek mythology or some, some Greek hero or something. So I, I put these two things together, you know, just just for the heck of it. I was like, I was like 14 or something. So I don't even remember my exact thought process. Then later when I play poker, um, you know, uh, when you play poker, you have like two basic kinds of players. One are fish and the other are wrecks. Fish are basically the ones who don't know how to play and they are donating money to, uh, to wrecks. Uh, so Fisk, meaning fish in Norwegian, were, were, was also funny um, because of this context. So I, so I had this nickname in my poker days as well, and then it kind of stick to me. And, and I added the Hisoka, Hisoka brand or the Hisoka element to it way, way later when, when I was already in crypto, this kind of joker element. Were you playing mostly online or in person? Uh, I played like 90% online. Um, I'm, 
I prefer to to be online uh, versus going to some noisy casino somewhere, um, playing all night with some with some drunks or whatever. Um, both things can be profitable, but both things have very different lifestyles. You need to kind of adjust for. When you play online, you can play multiple tables at once. Um, I had like two big screens playing. It, it is like basically like intraday trading where you have a lot of charts on multiple screens as a professional trader sometimes. So I had the same setup, but you know, instead of charts, you, you, just, you just saw like, I don't know, 12 or 15 tables and then some data uh, which my software generated for, for analyzing some, some of these situations and some of these players. Um, so I, I like that aspect of the game, you know, the data-driven approach um, and this quantitative approach a bit more than just sitting next to someone and trying to figure out from the blink of their eye, you know, whether they are bluffing. I mean, you can you can figure out a lot of stuff from from like online um, dynamics as well, but it's very different than, than live. Um, and also you can play online, you could play for like a couple of hours and then have a break or something or just, you know, stop. Uh, especially if you play cash games, which which, uh, what, which was what I was doing. I didn't play too much tournaments. Um, when you go to casino, you know, to earn your wage or to earn your living, let's say, you kind of need to plan your whole night, you know. You know that usually casinos or like these live poker rooms, they are like active at night mostly during weekends. Uh, so, you know, your... Um, your life cycle needs to adjust to that. And then, you know, sometimes, uh, in, especially in my country, uh, when I was not traveling, you know, these casinos were kind of smoky, you know, there was no like smoker free area anywhere. So basically you were like stinky from the smoke of cigarettes. And I mean, it wasn't a good lifestyle. So I preferred playing online most of the time. Um, but I, sometimes I traveled around, you know, around the world and when there were some good games, with some tourists or something, I don't know, in Sri Lanka, it was really juicy to play against Chinese tourists. Um, <laughs> so I would play there and I usually earned more than I spent like on, on three weeks traveling there. So, so that was kind of nice. Um, but yeah, most of the time I played online. And I think it's the poker, online poker culture is actually very similar or was very similar to what we see now in crypto, these DeFi degens and, and uh, all these like, even the lingo is somewhat similar in many ways. Um, but I think crypto is even bigger. Yeah. You, if, if you earned like, if you won like a couple of million dollars from poker, you were like top of the top. You were one of the best in the world. Um, if you played online, um, if you earn like one or two million in DeFi, I mean, you are, I, you, you are doing well, but you are definitely nowhere near the top. There are like much bigger wealth than you. So, so I definitely see um, crypto being much bigger pie and growing faster while poker as a pie is kind of shrinking. And also, you know, um, it was smaller to begin with. So that, that should be the comparison for you. Are you, do you play any games now, poker or any other online games? Mm. I don't play poker anymore. Um, I mean, after some time, I really got tired of it because it's it's such a simple. If you think about it, it's a very simple game. You know, you know, it's it's fixed. There are like fifty-two cards, and all the rules are fixed. And I mean, there are many situations that can happen. But after you play a couple of millions of hands, 
you know, you, you, you have seen pretty much everything and it, it gets repetitive and you, you can get 5% better by studying your opponents a bit more or, you know, uh, optimizing your game with some AI tools and stuff like that, but you cannot really grow as much as doing something more exciting, more real, let's say. Um, and yes, I, I think of crypto as being much more real than poker, which is still just a game to entertain people. And you can argue like <laughs> a lot of crypto is also that game, uh, like betting game to entertain people. But I also believe it's so much more. Uh, so when you can participate on something like that, you know, then then going back to poker is super boring. Like even even if I did nothing else, but uh, I don't know trade or play this algo stable coins or something like that which is also it can be seen as a zero sum game where you just study the game and then you try to play it better than others uh, even that is much more interesting because every game is uh, different with new rules so we need to readjust continuously so i don't play these like financial games anymore i sometimes play other computer games but nothing too active and nothing on the competitive level, for sure. I like crypto is one huge game for me, and <laughs> I I don't think anything else would appease to me nearly as much as crypto does. I definitely agree. Crypto is a big game, um, but it's actually a game that con contains many games within it. Do you what what types of games, if any, do you play with within crypto? Um. So I mean. There are so many, but if I if I could break it down to like a couple of categories, um, I would start from the most short term games, uh, which you basically play. I mean, I, I don't play these too much, but I sometimes do uh, just because I want to kind of you know enjoy the ride and learn something new and some quick buck. Um, I don't know stuff like when there was ESD and DSD mania, I, I played that a bit. Uh, I try to figure out what's the best strategy or even stuff like based and these algo stable coins. I, I was never like super convinced it can like, be something that is here to stay. Um, but I was curious that maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing something that maybe some others see or these founders of these projects know. So I wanted to get involved for, for the learning experience and to kind of uh, see what's there. But I also figured out uh, the way how to kind of play it to not lose too much if I'm losing and kind of win big if, if I'm if I'm winning. And I mean, it boils down to being early more than anything else. But even if you are early, you need to know what you are doing. Um, so stuff like this is the most like short term game I would play. Um, and it's like it's kind of sad, but it's pretty zero sum. So I know that when I'm winning in this game, someone else is, is donating me, someone else is losing. There is a fish at the table, basically. Um, but a lo lot of these games I'm playing is, is much more long-term oriented and I believe positive sum. Um, on the opposite uh, end of the spectrum, you have like playing the game with, with some of our founders who we backed. Game of adoption, game of, you know, making the project big and making it meaningful. Um, add a bit of reflexivity, add a bit of memes to kind of um, start the flywheel and, and kind of see where it where it can go and and like the it's very satisfying to see something which you see it like which is super small and especially when the founder is like not well known already and they don't have access to big capital or or you know they they are building something that like not many people believe in and that was the case especially during the bear market 
and then you are kind of first money in uh, or you are one of the, their first investors and you really help them to uh, get that initial uh, kick and, and they start working on it and then like I don't know one year later they suddenly have users and, and you know they are much bigger and, and you see them grow this is the the most fulfilling game but it's also the one where um, I think that it's 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 actually pretty passive despite us trying to help the founders they usually know what they are doing and we try to pick founders who do and if they don't ask us for advice or any other help we just we just leave them be usually uh, so it's it's a more passive game where suddenly uh, you invest in a project then you I don't know you interact with founders for for some time you help them where you can then they go quiet for a while because you know the start uh, they start to get some traction and they need to uh, focus on work and they don't need they don't need your advice anymore because you know uh, they are in this positive feedback loop and then like i don't know one year later you suddenly see them i don't know um operating one billion dollar project with with many users and um with with increasing traction and, and you are like you are pretty happy that you were there from the beginning this is this is the the other end of spectrum and between that there are all kinds of like games like yield farming and uh, and staking um researching all these all these projects for which which you are deciding whether to invest in whether to farm the token whether to uh, provide liquidity and you know it's like uh, there is this game called uh, fuck marry or kill where you see some i don't know hot girl or, or a girl and you kind of decide which one of these three things you would like uh, do with her and this is the same with a project when when there is like DeFi, uh, when there is some DeFi protocol uh, you play a game of uh, um, buy the token yield farm or uh sorry buy the token farm dump or um or ignore right uh, so if if you see some project which is like within DeFi ecosystem which has a farming incentive you decide if the token is undervalued if you want to only farm it or, or also like buy it on the market um to accumulate it uh, or you just want to you know the apy is high and you just want to farm it and then dump it immediately because it's um you you know it's overvalued and you want to have the money to to support something else or you want to ignore it completely because it's shady or because it doesn't make sense or because it's too overcrowded so so this is the usual framework for for most of these DeFi um farming projects and there are of course like everything in between like figuring out where the next uh, activity will will uh, spin like with which layer two or alternative chain will um will spin up to to become like uh, interesting enough to kind of set up wallets and, and all the infrastructure to be active there. That's that's some some other thing to consider when playing these games. In your interview on uh, on Common Core, I think you described yourself as the most degen of your partners at Z Prime. Am, am I remembering yeah. that correctly? yeah i think that's true i think that's true um but to be fair i think part of the reason is that i'm from this like poker background uh, where i have this mindset this like um and this playful mindset of playing these games and uh, I, I really enjoy it um my other partners i would say are more either tech oriented or 
more long-term focus than more like more like a like proper VCs that they don't really want to play these games too much. They want to focus on on founders and on long-term investments, and they they don't want to like eg rebalance the portfolios too much. They want to just you know. Uh, support the projects early and then see them grow and they don't want to mess with with even if the projects are liquid they don't want to take any profits to reinvest elsewhere they just want to be like um, you know like a standard we see because that's their philosophy but I mean the other part of the reason is that I'm super lucky to have uh, colleagues and partners who uh, take care about a lot of bullshit so I don't have to so like you know, running such a such an entity is sometimes a pain in the ass when it comes to administration, uh, legal stuff, and, and setting up infra infrastructure, talking with uh, some service providers and like some maybe employees. Um, and it's like it's a full time job to to do that kind of thing. Uh, in crypto, it's like if you are in crypto. On one hand, you are like you are playing with these futuristic financial tools. On the other banks won't open you an account easily and the banks uh, which do they are either expensive or they are like they don't even have internet banking so you need to fax them orders and stuff like that which is like which is surreal it's like from the 80s right um so so my colleagues they they actually shield me away from from most of these like topics and i can i can spend my time like either playing these games, researching, uh, shit posting on Twitter um, and doing all these cool things, which I really enjoy doing. And, and I actually am super lucky to to be able to do that. Um, I wouldn't, if, if I was on my own, I wouldn't start a fund or anything like that. I would just play with my own money because I wouldn't have patience, no skills to to deal with all, all the amount of, of BS that, that uh, these like traditional entities need to deal with when they want to interact with crypto. Absolutely. Um, so leaving all the faxing aside, how do you make these decisions as to what uh, projects you're going to degen into, right? There's hundreds of projects. It seems like a few new projects every single day. What are, what are some of the criteria you're looking at before, you know, buying or staking or providing liquidity? I mean, I, I would love to tell you some, you know, some secret sauce or some kind of methodology to the madness, but there is none, I would say. Um, it's definitely <laughs> not random, but uh, it's mostly what, sur what surfaces first. There are now so many projects and they are so crowded with, with, uh, with investors uh, and it's quite competitive, especially when you are a VC. It's at this moment, if you only provide capital to projects and you are not like a, um, a big brand VC name, you, you have pretty hard time to get early into into some of these private deals which is like this is challenging even for bigger valuations every round is oversubscribed uh, so i mean if we get if we don't get something on our deal flow quite early we basically just miss it as as like investors and then we either can buy it on secondary when it is obviously much bigger because you know when you when you go public with a token usually the the valuation at this stage of the market just you know uh, goes like five to ten x immediately. Um, so, so usually we try to avoid projects that are already like too expensive, and and this this will filter out most of the projects because majority right now, in my opinion, are quite like overvalued compared to you know, a lot of things. Be be it the 
the team or or be it uh, be it the adoption. Um, so yeah, so this leaves some projects which are like smaller, but then there is like a lot of crap there, right? You you have a lot of like super small projects that that are small for a reason because like nobody would touch them, right? And then you kind of need to sift through that uh, to find this like it's called like hidden gems, right? Um, um, I call it like undervalued projects that for some reason market uh, overseas and then then basically you just do your due diligence if i mean i prefer i prefer actually making bets in a bear market and like have, having time to to research everything to call multiple times with founders or, or the team um to engage with community to kind of to watch the data for a bit and then to decide maybe in a like even in two to three weeks. But in, in the bull market, if you see something which is really interesting, um, which you really think is cool, but you know you are not 100% sure because you, know, you, you maybe still uh, don't have time to read the white paper or to engage deeply. Um, I mean, the best course of action is to buy at least a little bit and then like scale in when you already have skin in the game, like foot in the door and like learn more on the go than to just wait and be like super thorough because the market will, you know, it will usually, if, if the project is really good, it will correct quite fast because like there is like huge, huge reward for those who, who don't waste time and just research quickly and just make quick decisions. Um, but yeah, but I mean, at this point we are slowing down a bit with new investments anyway. Um, we are waiting, you know, for, for uh, I'm not saying for a top or for cool off or anything like it, but um, I personally believe that especially in DeFi, we are hitting a point where everything new which is being built is just derivative of a derivative. There are not as many original ideas in the space as they were like one year ago, let's say. Um, so we, we don't have any FOMO or anything. Um, and it's just case to case. Like we, we, try, to, we try to formulate some sort of sub thesis about various fields of the industry, uh, be it like DeFi, NFTs, middleware. And then within that sub-thesis, we try to find the best, bet we, best bets we can. Um, and it's actually interesting that you have this, you have this dichotomy when you find some, some field which you think is interesting and you should be betting on right now. Uh, then you, you have multiple choices usually. One of them is to uh, to just focus on the market leader, you know, to bet on winners, uh, you know, that will continue winning usually. And it's the most easiest thing to do, but you are usually buying it with a premium. Or when you see that the winner who is currently winning for some reason, there are like some big flaws in the in the design or there is, you know, maybe the winner is winning or the market leader is, is a market leader just because, you know, the market is still super inefficient and when it becomes more efficient, it, it doesn't have a sustainable uh, mode or anything or advantage. Then you are trying to find some some other projects which are maybe undervalued or which are you know they, they need to fight the uphill battle, but you know they have a decent chance because they have a good team. And you may even like be wrong for a long time, right? You can you can find a project that will that will not like build anything in in next couple of months while everything else is already soaring because all these other projects rush to the market to, to capture the attention and hype. But at the end of the day, you know, if you are, if you are bullish on this space for like 10 years plus, um, it's, it's hard 
not to feel that like the best solutions should should definitely win in the long run um if the market is super inefficient if something is making it five times more efficient it's it's cool um and also we we kind of try to avoid copycats even though some copycats may be actually good businesses but um we are we are we have this king or this bias towards original original ideas um where we even though sometimes the best investments are the ones which are the most boring like something that is just gaining traction that is serving some businesses and you know it has these like let's say illegal modes like like coinbase does for example um and it's a good long-term investment which you can project and it will usually be good for a long time if if the if the project is like well-oiled business machine uh but we kind of have this kink for projects that try to do things differently that try to like like kind of change the narrative of the whole space or, or try to do something that that may have high chance of failing but was never done before and we will rather support those i mean we have obviously bets in both categories and some of them are already blue chips let's say but uh, but we are definitely much more prone to invest in something that has high chance of failing but if it doesn't it becomes zero to one thing that we are in something that is maybe better exchange or maybe better um i don't know lending provider which which is just you know competitor to something that's already existing but it even if the team is better and if the tech is a bit better we we are not likely to invest i mean we will invest in these if if we see the team is like something something else but yeah it's so yeah I, i'm sorry there is no like coherent methodology it's like ad hoc case to case mm, constant review and you know we have multiple sources of of like deal flow or projects i mean twitter being on twitter and shit posting there with all the dagens i mean it's definitely not waste of time uh, even like one year ago i would tell you that i'm wasting time but right now i I actually think that my public activity like made us a lot of good contacts and and even like definitely a lot of money directly because you know I was publicly tweeting about something and then some some founder of an early project like approached us and we invested because of like my my shit posting let's say so I definitely think that there is value to to doing it um but but yeah you also need all those people who who are working on the background and you know sorting out the legal stuff so sorting out the, the deep research sometimes yeah absolutely i mean that's why that's why i do this you know making content is super important um one one project that you guys recently backed is ohm which you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you don't really believe in algo stable coins and yet you make this decision to back this particular project um why why i mean um it's not like i don't believe in algo stable coins completely i think that there are some designs you can come up with that can be useful long term i just think that currently the algo stable coins that try to have zero collateral and try to be hard pegged to dollar won't be like successful 
I, that's my like most precise opinion about this. Um, and it may even change. I mean, I, I'm not like super uh, aggressive about holding this opinion. Um, but I definitely think there is a lot of untapped design space um, around like currency like assets that try to be somewhat stable, but maybe not directly towards dollar or they are not hard packed, but they will be somewhat like, stable enough for, uh, for like meaningful economy or, or like activity, financial activity to form around them within crypto. And I also believe that, that pegging everything to dollar or like using mostly dollar peg stable coins, be it centralized or decentralized, is, uh, is not like in line with long-term long -term, uh, ideological goals of crypto ecosystem as a whole. Um, I think we should push for like more um, uh, independent, let's say, currencies and like stuff like Bitcoin and ETH. Uh, they are somewhat good assets even for transactions um, for like holding value, but they are still like super volatile and they they behave according to different economic rules than like currency, which is used for payment should behave. Um, and like there are a lot of even from before crypto, there are a lot of theories on, on how currencies should work. And one of these one of these theories uh, comes from this forgotten wing of Austrian economic school, which says that you know gold shouldn't be universal asset uh, for for all the money on the world because then it's also like it's not a free market. It's just you know tyranny of gold, and the only free market uh, around uh, like currencies can form if we allow like entities such as private banks, like investment banks, to issue their own notes and to kind of compete on the free market. Uh, uh, of these nodes, which then may become currencies. Um, and these like private banks, I mean, they are essentially central banks, but they, are, they don't have monopoly. So private banks with, with, uh, um, with uh, activities that resemble central banks. And there are like two kinds of, I mean, basically two kinds of uh, um, activities or, or things that these like banks could do to kind of support their nodes of being a good currency. Uh, firstly, some sort of uh, like monetary policies or fiscal policies, some levers you pull, some numbers you change to kind of optimize for some, some use case, let's say for inflation or for, for some other feature of, of the currency you kind of want to optimize for. Um, and the other is that you hold some assets in reserve and you use these assets to buy or sell or to generate some other activities such as investments or I don't know, uh, to generate yield and to kind of increase the treasury of the private bank and then increase the strength or the potential of your privately issued currency, which, which you use on the market, you, you, like, uh, you give it to your customers and, and you know, it, 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 becomes, it becomes a payment vehicle, let's say, or, or maybe some sort of a store of value. And it's like, it's, this private note could be seen as something between uh, having a share of the bank, like having some sort of a stock, and having some fluid asset that you can use for payments. Um, I mean, it's obviously much more nuanced than that. I just gave you a super rough gist, um, but this is idea behind uh, Olympus and maybe even some of the other algorithmic uh, 
I would call them, let's say, non-stable coins or stable assets, non-packed stable assets, let's say, um, that they they are they are using these uh, uh, these mechanisms to to create new sort of crypto-native currencies uh, with the goal of being stable enough to be used in day-to-day -day economic activities. Um, OM is a go good example. I mean. OM current Olympus DAO is like just one implementation of, of like of, Olymp of what Olympus could do. Uh, we could see like Olympus DAO becoming uh, this this kind of bank where right now uh, it only supports DAI as a reserve asset, but it can be wrapped Bitcoin, it can be ETH, it, it can be all kinds of other assets. And then someone maybe forks Olympus DAO and says like, you know, I think. Uh, having die in, in, in a reserve asset is, is bullshit and, and we should have other assets and it will start competing with the original Olympus DAO on the market and and this is basically the vision of uh, uh, of this uh, of this one wing of Austrian economic school that more of these banks and currencies are competing on the free market with with various uh, mechanisms and some are more conservative some are more aggressive and over time, you know, market reaches an equilibria where there are a couple of players who are competing with, with their currencies. Uh, they, they are trying to kind of stabilize their currency and, and also uh, make it profitable, maybe to hold, to earn some interest on it. And, you know, it's a balance between being risk, risk averse and, and, and risk aggressive. Um, so you may see some banks which, which will be much more aggressive with their assets and with their with their policies and you know they may go bust more often and then you will see some super conservative ones um, but the idea is that the market will be free there will be no uh, no central bank central entity with a monopoly on anything that would say like this is a currency and this one is not and i mean it's super bold vision uh, which like uh, the founder of, of olympus has um we could see these Olympus Olympuses <laughs> uh, being spinned on multiple chains as well, not only on Ethereum. Uh, we could see Olympus DAO spending multiple ecosystems. Maybe we, we will see it fail and something else will come up which will have similar mechanism but will have like more conservative policies or something like that. Um, and it's definitely super early experiment at this point. The premium on OM is quite huge, right? Uh, over Over the over the reserve it's because it's uh, like you know it's there is also a rebase like baked into it when you when you stake um so it's like you, you maintain the share of the network uh but but it's definitely not it's not intended to be stable one to one to dollar and it that means that it doesn't fail if it has huge premium um i mean i would consider it failed if it traded below below the die for like super long time it would mean that something is off but it's i don't think it's even like economically possible because if you have die in the reserve you just use the die to buy the currency back up right um so i mean it's it sort of still is algo stable coin uh, from a high perspective but it's very different from from all of these other games i mentioned earlier where i have i mean i'm not saying I don't believe completely uh, uh, on like on their vision, but I find it much harder for them to um, you know to do anything in the long run. And I mean, it's also a, it's it's basically if if you don't have any collateral or any reserve asset, 
It's just basically a game where you need to attract attention of players that want to play it. If nobody will play it, then the value is zero. Uh, whereas where you have some reserve assets, the value is always like at least book value of those reserve assets. If there is no some sort of funky mechanism that <laughs> that prevents you from like claiming those reserve assets somehow or, or kind of uh, acting uh, acting with them to stabilize the pack, which may be a bit, uh, uh, you know, you may uh, you may recall that Faye is is doing this like negative incentives uh, a bit too harsh, which which make it harder for you to exit the, the game once you started playing. Speaking of oversubscribed, what did you think of the Faye launch? Um, I actually um, I, I I followed all the non-packed stable coins out there except Faye. So I followed Float, obviously Olympus, and also Reflexor. And I found all three kind of cool and I wanted to see where they go. And I kind of missed Faye early on. I, I didn't know about it until like much later, like a couple of, I think two weeks before launch or something. Uh, so I didn't even have time to properly research it, but I just read one article and it seemed, I, I didn't know how to like, eloquently put it so I didn't even tweet anything, but I kind of felt that it the, the incentives are kind of weird and they are too much skewed to the punish side, which, which you know, which turned to be a correct assessment. And uh, I think they should change the design a lot. Uh, when it comes to launch itself, it was super hyped. You know, my friends were asking me about this and I was like, for me, it seems off. It's already super uh, crowded, like everybody wants to be in. So for that reason, I don't think it will be super good uh, investment um, for those guys who are like like trying to get in for uh, for so much money. So I basically stayed out and I didn't even think twice about it. I mean, I, I did it many times with, with this. I have this bias against our overcrowded investments that you kind of need to fight for every inch of your allocation and then end up uh, with like $1,000 uh, of ticket, you know, like all these public sales on FTX and stuff like that. So I, I have a strong bias against those. That being said, they definitely can be very profitable, uh, but they, they are usually even more profitable for someone else. So I find these games a bit, a bit hard to play for someone who is an outsider. So, um, I don't usually participate. I try to find projects that are not as, as crowded, that are much smaller. Um, and I try to get involved in those because there is a more room to do stuff and I don't need to just, you know, uh, front run everyone else to, to get allocation or kind of be in some sort of lottery to get small allocation or do these kind of things. And it feels like I'm like playing some sort of a like bingo with uh, with some elders in casino or something like that. Do you have a favorite like distribution method of tokens? I mean, you have this idea of a fair launch, you have pre-sales. Um, maybe it doesn't matter to you as long as it as it's early enough, as the project is strong enough, or do you have any particular preferences? Uh, I don't. I mean, it solely depends on the project and every token is different. Every project is different. Uh, I would say that uh, like I am involved in Hydra DX, which is uh, another like 
I think, pretty innovative and unorthodox project. It's, it's tried to do something different in AMM space. It's built on Substrate. Uh, but they did uh, LBP um, on Balancer, um, which was, I mean, it wasn't perfect. It still didn't prevent the price like from like pumping too much. But I would say it was much better than most of the other mechanisms uh, we have seen in the space. So I definitely think LBP is thing to consider. I like for some projects, not all, but for some, I like uh, bonding curves. But the ones where you can also return the token, like burn it or like return it to the protocol and you get at least some some portion of your investment back. Not the ones where it only goes up and it cannot go down anymore. Uh, these were like, these were used by some of the NFT projects like uh, Euler Beats. Uh, I, I kind of like that approach as well. For some projects, obviously not for all. Um, I mean, I like projects that, that distribute a lot of tokens in one way or another, like majority of their supply if they have fixed supply. Um, I'm kind of undecided whether I think it's better to distribute it rapidly as quickly as possible or to distribute it over super long term um, and to kind of keep incentivizing different things and playing with it. Like we have seen both approaches, uh, like the one extreme is uh, Yearn where they like rapidly distributed everything, but the goal there was to to like get rid of the ownership of the protocol, like Andre was pretty vocal about it. Um, so yeah, so the goal was fulfilled. Depends, uh, depends on your like lens. Uh, it may be arguable if if it wouldn't be better to have some sort of uh, tail inflation for some long long term incentives or, or like for developer incentives. But you know they are dealing with it now. Wi-Fi was was uh, being printed. Uh, uh, some time ago to cover some losses. Um, so so there is definitely this kind of flexibility, which which I like. I don't think, like, apart from Bitcoin and a couple of other projects, like, like strictly fixed supply is, is, a, is a panacea or is a good solution. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have these projects where you can, like, presume that in the long run, you will keep getting some rewards. Um, and this is this is the case for Hydra DX as well, where Hydra will like keep releasing tokens slowly and incentivize various activities on the network for the super long run. Um, Synthetix also was famous uh, for for experimenting a lot with with the incentives, like they they incentivized different activities and uh, they kind of were flexible in this this direction and they did it over some long period of time. They were super lucky that they did it before almost everyone else, and they also like did it during bear market, so it wasn't as um, as filled with uh, short-term oriented capital back then as it is now. Um, but I think that their approach is something that most projects are still like. I mean, Synthetix was one of the first, if not first, project that really did yield farming right, and like I don't see many projects that would do it better than them actually. Like most projects, if, if they just copied synthetics model, they would uh, they would be much better off than, than what they are doing. Mm. And it's funny that you know they, they are they, there are no I mean there are some projects which are learning, but some of them are definitely don't. And and then you can see that these projects are probably not thinking too deeply about what they are doing. Uh, one thing I kind of feel is like overused right now are airdrops or free tokens for various like like bullshit reasons that you have like. I mean, it attracts a lot of attention, but uh, like I think value valueless tokens are meme. Like 
if you are building valuable project and it has a token, the token should have some value. If, if the token is really valueless, then you shouldn't have a token at all. So if you are building valuable project, which you like focus on, which you spend time on, you, you have investors, you have community, and you release a token, like saying it's valueless won't save you from SEC or anything else. And it's not true. It's, it's a meme that, that you are trying to spin. But I think the token should be valuable. You should value it. And thus, you should, you should be careful, especially super early on, uh, to whom you give it to. Um, I mean, I, if, if I was now starting a new project from scratch, and I would put a lot of effort into it, and I would like it to succeed, I would, I would pick very carefully uh, the addresses I will airdrop my token to, if any. I would pick very carefully the activities that I will incentivize. Um, and I would, I would treat the token as very valuable because it would be, you know, something that, that is connected to, to the success of the thing I'm, I'm putting my sweat into. So, so all the, like these projects that are just spraying tokens left and right, airdropping them, I mean, okay, it, it, it works in a bull market as a good marketing gimmick. Uh, last uh, last cycle in 2017, we had this like proof of activity airdrops where you were rewarding uh, rewarded for tweeting about stuff and I don't know sharing, liking Facebook posts and bullshit like this and and like I don't think any of these projects uh, that did this kind of thing are still around or are particularly successful. Um, so yeah, so I would refrain from doing that. Uh, if if you are a project that aims to build for the long run and create something valuable and have a valuable token. If you just if you are just playing some short-term game or if you are just uh, I don't know, trying something out which is kind of fancy and, and cool and you want to see what happens but you have no strings attached, definitely play with it. But um, yeah, airdrops are a bit of a turn-off for me despite the fact that I, I benefit from airdrops quite heavily, right? I get a lot of them because I am the year governance participant and some other stuff too. But I don't really think it like most of the projects doing it should be doing it this way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that airdrops are super powerful, but they're not utilized like correctly. I think that you're definitely right in saying that they're kind of just over just the distribution is too wide, but um, getting a very granular like you could be, you could target the exact right people that you want to speak to if you're launching a new project. Um, you know, if you're launching an AMM, you can very easily target all the people who have, you know, LP'd on Uniswap, SushiSwap, and One Inch. And if you want to attract those type of liquidity providers, then uh, that's a great way to, to, get, to at least get them interested, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. If you, if you have a good way to target the right people, you, you should do it. Um, I mean, I would still argue against like dropping the tokens freely. I would still have some mechanism to at least do some sort of action to kind of uh, to deserve these tokens in the network. But that's just me. I also like what what uh, Julian uh, Gutelub did with uh, with Stakedow. I mean, he didn't do anything yet, but he dropped some tokens to like a lot of people, and then he uh, started to map addresses that are dumping uh, SDT token. Uh, with with some sort of uh, a threat that you know he will not build for for these addresses anymore, or they will be some somewhat uh, they will be on the blacklist or something. And there was nothing like concrete was said, but it was actually super interesting dynamics that you can actually even 
exclude some 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 addresses or some participants from airdrop or from any uh, free uh, benefit you you are giving out based on their past actions right so i mean i don't think it's it's hard to right now to filter out addresses that are mostly uh, dumping airdrops uh, from those that are holding them or staking them or, or participating in governance and if you if you filter these addresses for these addresses you have much better chance of targeting those who are maybe more term, more long term oriented more curious about the product and not just about free money um, the ones that may have higher chance of like interacting with your project not just dumping the token which i mean it's like some people were crying like you know this is this is not permissionless and it's uh, it's something that's uh, exclusive to some and, and it's not like inclusive to everyone and this is not what we what we are building in crypto but i mean not every project in defi even has to be like like super open to anyone like you can have different flavors you have this permissionless open decentralized network you are building on top of and then your projects can be all flavors of uh, of uh, decentralized or centralized or permission or permissionless in the middle um where like you know let the market pick the best solutions whether they are a bit more exclusive uh, or whether they are super inclusive to everyone yeah that julian thing is quite interesting i think that as time goes on we're going to see more nuanced airdrops right now it's like okay if you voted on your and then you get you know this airdrop but um uh, so yeah, uh, one one message to all the projects: please stop dropping tokens to Yearn governance participants. They have like almost all the airdrops, and I don't think like they they deserve as much. I mean, it's it's cool. I'm also early Yearn governance participant, but try try to find something more original. Like these guys are already swamped by by airdrops. They don't know what to do with them, and they will definitely not have enough focus to focus on the next airdrop uh, and then start participating in it as well. If you just even just simply stack like urine participant plus didn't sell an airdrop like for yeah. six months or whatever, that would already that would get a good filter on people who are interested. Yeah. I mean, and you also have this like you have the against score, right? Yeah. <laughs> create some other types of score, which would be much more like oriented towards not like digging into all the stuff, but that would uh, put uh, put high and higher emphasis on some on some governance activity or some other uh, properties of, of your address. It would be interesting to see more scores. Let's, let's build more scores for everything. More, more score. We need a DeFi leaderboard. <laughs> yes, and not only one. Definitely more than one. Ah, uh, interesting. A decentralized DeFi leaderboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So multiple aspects. Um, one thing that your firm has spoken a lot about and you mentioned just now is middleware. That's kind of a concept that I'm not, that I think I, I kind of only heard from you guys. Well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, it's, um, you can imagine it as a layer that's uh, between the, the bottom of the stack, which is usually the raw chain, and between the apps uh, that are like capturing end users. And everything between, I mean, it's super wide, but everything in between that helps developers uh, to build stuff, that helps uh, maybe with incentives, uh, with decentralization of the project, with security, with privacy, everything in, in between can be seen as a sort of a middleware. Um, we can, I mean, a lot of people also say like Chainlink is a middleware, and I think it's it's a good good frame. Like oracles, you know, are like 
external data that are used uh, uh, for many of these projects oracles uh, so if you if you look at like chain link layer if you look at it as a layer it's definitely sitting between blockchain and, and like and like the applications for for uh, DeFi and for end users and it uh, it's on the surface it sounds a bit less cool than just building a new farm with some better yields and better logo and, and like um, some kind of memes around food and stuff like that it's like middleware sounds pretty boring like some sort of infrastructure and it's very technical but uh, i think it's super important to don't forget about it because like if you want if you want to enable enough developers to build cool stuff on on your on your network i mean without developer tools without some sort of oracles without some some reliable middleware you basically you force them to build everything on their own which which then takes much more time and they will just build elsewhere or not at all um and there are also some other interesting uh interesting things that can be achieved only via middleware, middleware or mostly via middleware um privacy is definitely a thing that i mean there are multiple projects uh on base layer that are trying to solve privacy by introducing new blockchain, new asset, like some privacy coins or some privacy smart contract layers. Um, but uh, I believe that the true privacy should be a middleware protocol sitting on top of like the most used layers or most used blockchains. Um, and the other thing, and this is an example used in the article for the Ribbit Insights, is uh, like changing the game of incentives in, in a way that, that helps the space to, you know, get closer to its goal. Like the, the, the example was POCT and POCT is this decentralized network that makes it easy and profitable for, for, uh, for many actors to spin their own validator nodes or like uh, data nodes and to sell the data to, to some other entities. And this is basically achieving much more decentralized like node uh, node ecosystem than than like what we have now with uh, most of the stuff being on amazon or like controlled by a couple of big node validators because you know they have economy of scale such as infura and i mean you can then build all kinds of things around this uh, like you can you can have like uh, multi-chain uh, on-chain oracles meaning that you can share data from various blockchains between between the chains um so you can you can build arbitrage application on top of one chain that takes uh, some sort of advantage of the uh, on-chain trading which is happening on some other chain and, and you can like have this data in in like almost not like real time but almost real time uh because of this layer of, of like data providers that are com maybe competing or cooperating with each other to uh, to give you the data as fast as possible and it's not reliant on some big centralized service that can like like shut down or something like that like like what happened with infura one thing that you mentioned you tweeted recently was this idea of positioning for layer twos and side chains you said that if if they kind of market themselves as a like with an ethereum ethos then they'll get less hate from the ethereum community um, i think someone that like matic 
I believe is trying to do something like that, where it seems like for whatever reason, there's consensus that using Matic is like ETH friendly, whereas Binance Smart Chain is not. Um, what, what do you think? What do you think about that? Um, I mean, like, well, it's, I would call it a, let's say, cultural awareness. Like you have these users who are in crypto right now and they are like, some of them are power users. Most, most of them reside on Ethereum or, or they started on Ethereum and, and many of them are ideologically aligned with some principles. Um, and you could argue that it's still a super minority of all the people who you could target on the, in the world like for being, being crypto users of, of your project. So maybe like some, some people argue that, uh, I don't know, um, Binance Smart Chain or Solana, it doesn't make any sense for them to care about these like ideas or, or these or this, uh, people because a uh, vast majority of uh, addressable market is still outside and they should attract those. Um, but I believe that it's, it's kind of important to, to be aware of, of the narratives and the culture which, under which you are building because first users who will come to test out your network or not will still be the ones who are already there, who are already familiar. And they are the ones who can drive attention to it, who can drive like um, even more users from outside to it because they are aligned with, with the ideology. Um, of course, you can also spin the different narrative. You can like um, be controversial and aggressive on purpose. Like I think this is what uh, CZ from Binance is doing. I don't think he's just stupidly bashing Ethereum, not realizing that he is also building an Ethereum clone, but just with more centralization and not much to add. Uh, I think he realizes that, but he also realizes the power of virality and power of uh, uh, controversy in, in marketing. And when he bashes Ethereum, he is doing it like deliberately to kind of to spin this controversy and virality and to attract more attention. And, and I mean, Binance is a super player in the, in the crypto ecosystem. So I think he can afford to to act this way. I mean, I'm not sure if it won't be better if, if, if they acted or if they presented a different narrative that Binance marching in some sort of more centralized scalability solution for Ethereum or, or sidechain of Ethereum, uh, which uh, they would communicate is not as decentralized and you know, settlement layer should, have, should, should be Ethereum, but they are here for those uh, who just want uh, like low fees and learn about DeFi in a low fee environment. I mean. This would be interesting uh, version of reality where, where Binance Smart Chain would go this narrative direction, but they chose, you know, war. And I think they chose it purposefully. But some other projects, you know, they are not nearly as powerful as Binance and um, they want also Ethereum users and they want to build bridges with Ethereum, not only like literal technical bridges, but also figuratively. And uh, they are doing different uh, kind of, uh, let's say, marketing or PR. They are saying that, you know, Ethereum is uh, here to stay. Ethereum is the king and we are here to make it better. We are here to connect to it and to kind of, you know, provide an alternative for, for, for some users who, who are priced out. But, you know, we want to scale with Ethereum. We want to help it out as well. And I mean, one thing is just saying stuff, right? Like we are friendly to Ethereum. The other may be, 
to actually donate to Gitcoin grants to um, to kind of uh, propel uh, public goods on Ethereum, you know, like these free clients and stuff like that. Uh, so you can do all kinds of things to kind of politically or culturally align yourself with with the ecosystem and 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 ideology you want to kind of foster in your ecosystem. I mean, apart from Matic, there is also um, there is also Near, which is like also standalone blockchain and it uses sharding. It's it's pretty similar to ETH 2.0 design, uh, and the team is very technical, but they also frame the, themselves more as a Ethereum friendly sidechain or alt chain i think they have one of the most or even yeah even the most decentralized bridge with ethereum in the space uh, so this is a strong argument you know when you look at binance smart chain bridge you know it can be stopped at any any second and you know it's like a border control you know from north korea where when the leader decides you are not passing then you are not passing uh, so uh, so it's definitely valuable to think about the you know the cultural context and to kind of bake it in in your in your project or in your narrative as well before you just build something. Um, and yeah, and there is also XDAI is also like it's pretty centralized sidechain to Ethereum, but they never claim that they are better than Ethereum. They never claim they are going to like kill Ethereum or whatever. They just claim that we are here for everyone who wants different trade-offs between centralization and, and, and uh, cost. And yeah, it's super easy to port from Ethereum to us, super easy to go back. Yeah, there are some risks, but you know, we are not here to, for you to store all your money on, on us. We are just here to provide quick scalability. Interesting. So this is, yeah. So I, I definitely believe that whatever path you choose, the war or the, you know, uh, the collaboration, uh, ideologically, it's, it's better to be aware of these dynamics than to just blindly start uh, posting claims that you know you are better than Ethereum because you have higher TPS and then like be super surprised that you know uh, you don't have any fans and uh, everyone is just talking trash about your project and you know the narrative is pretty negative. Uh, AVAX. Uh, no, sorry, sorry. Well, I didn't say anything. Uh, um, it's interesting you position it like a war. I think that in general, that may be a more powerful marketing technique for Binance, as long as you're able to back it up with, with your military, right? Because if you're not strong and you're trying to trash Ethereum, you'll just get overrun. But CZ has a lot of money, definitely been in crypto a long time, knows the field, knows the players. So he's able to kind of, take this other approach that maybe other projects cannot do. Uh, but in that way, he also could, he creates like a, a very tribal ideology, which, you know, could sustain the chain, you know, for a long time. Mm, indeed. I mean, I mean, tribalism will, will always be here because we are still humans. We still have like monkey brains on the spiders, you know, flying rockets to the moon. We are still like, you know, we evolved in Savannah in small tribes and these things, you know, genetically are, are baked in. Uh, so we will see tribalism like all over again between multiple projects with slight, even slightly different ideologies. I'm afraid if I, if I, if I could like long tribalism, I would, I, I think <laughs> I can only long tribe, but that's not the same thing, right? Um, so like even between like new things, which, are, which don't even have like, super high traction like i don't know 
earlier, like I think last year, I saw Solana and Near um, kind of in a, in a war. Like Solana was all about like one chain um, rules rules it all, and Near was more about sharding. And Solana even named their uh, podcast like No Sharding, you know, to take a jab at all the sharding projects, but like mostly Near. And then they had some uh, one of one of those two. I'm not sure which one had some sort of a uh, competition for users or something like like that. I don't even remember what it was. And the other project copied the page like word to word, all the text just just changed. You know, like they changed uh, logos and, and colors and stuff. But all the, all the text remained the same. And they both posted it almost at the same time. I couldn't even tell which one was first and which one copied. So even these projects, even like one year ago, where none of these had any traction, like they didn't have mainnets. Uh, they were actually engaged in uh, like tribalist uh, kind of warfare against each other for, for some reason I don't understand, but they did it. <laughs> it was so funny. And it wasn't just their communities, it was the team themselves because you know, why else would you just copy word for word some, some, some random text? You know, yeah. it, it wasn't even such a long text, you could just write your own, right? But no. <laughs> One. Uh... On, uh, on, in the conversation uh, on UCC, um, you guys delved pretty deep into Polkadot. Um, you said that you're probably the biggest Polkadot bear on your team. Not necessarily that you are a bear, but the biggest bear, if there is had to be one. Which, um, yeah. which, uh, which sidechain or L2 scaling solution do you, do you like, I mean, personally? Um, I mean, I'm pretty undecided at this point. There is so much. I mean, I was kind of optimistic about optimism until they postponed. Now I'm not. I'm not so sure. Um, I actually. I mean, I'm bullish on Solana as a scalability sidechain uh, uh, to Ethereum. Actually, I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not sidechain per se, but you know, it could be one. Um, other than that, um, I. Think in the long run, zero knowledge proofs or zero knowledge rollups or something with zero knowledge can completely like crush and destroy like all the space and everything you know we we think we know about blockchains and how they work. I mean, zero knowledge proofs can bearing there will be some some like ad, like quick adoption and some other solution won't be cemented too fast. Uh, I think that this can really change, you know, the, the playing field dramatically and even Solana with uh, 50k TPS won't be like competitor or anything like it. So I'm, I'm pretty, it's, it's hard to bet on this uh, because there are not many projects like um, building like generalized zero knowledge like layer apart from Starkware and Starkware just, you know, it's a, it's a huge US company. They are raising from big private investors and it's, it was like super hard to get into that round. They, they closed the round recently and they are building this universe of zero knowledge rollups or zero, zero knowledge, um, let's say, um, chains or, or, or like ecosystems. Um, other than that, you know, you don't have many public projects that you could just long and, and be like uh, exposed to the success of, of ZK. But as a technology, I really believe that ZK is something that will will melt faces in the long run or, or has a big chance of like changing the landscape. Um, bearing, I, I am not uh, like cryptographer, I'm not mathematician, I don't really understand uh, all the nitty gritty of, of zero knowledge proofs, but 
from the higher level from what I've seen uh, and, and from the discussion I had with some smarter people than me I really think that, that in the long run zero knowledge is is a game changer it is also a question whether it will be implementable easily by already existing chains I believe so like something like ethereum 2.0 will probably use like zero knowledge uh, shards or something like that that will that will make it uh, much more scalable and secure um, but yeah we will see I mean it's it's far in the future but right now at this moment um, from layer twos I don't have a super strong favorite I'm following polygon matic uh, which you mentioned which is like it's not even a layer two it's a side chain mostly they have plasma but it's not very used um, they are trying to create this ecosystem of EVM chains um, I actually think that every alternative blockchain can can kind of act as sort of like sidechain or scalability solution in the interim um yeah maybe optimistic rollups will will actually surprise me but i am right now uh, it's it sounds a bit like like lightning network where like all the bitcoin maximalists were hyping lightning future from 2018 or 17 and you know it's like three years forward and i mean you can use lightning somehow but it's not like it does, it does have any any huge direction so I'm, I'm a bit afraid if this won't be a case for uh, for optimistic rollups as well I hope not I definitely root for them but I'm just you know with all these delays I'm getting a bit more skeptical to be honest yeah it definitely doesn't bode well for the future of the project I mean you see Uniswap launching v3 everyone kind of expected to launch with the kind of optimistic but then they're saying no we're kind of going to delay that portion it doesn't it doesn't feel good. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but it certainly doesn't doesn't look promising right at this moment. Yeah. In the meantime, like Ave is building on on Polygon. Um, you know, some a compound is 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 building their own substrate chain. You know, instead of integrating with Optimism directly, or, or even though they are like part of that, let's say cluster, or as I like to call it, like US Ethereum shard. You know. Um, there is this like geographical like kind of split between some of these DeFi projects and compound is definitely in the US cluster and they are still like not building on optimism they are doing their own chain which is like, kind of interesting yeah that's uh very curious to see how that plays out um one thing that your partner said in the in the conversation I referred to several times is um in reference to your into reference to Z prime, he says, uh, we don't have a fancy, we don't have fancy theses, but we do have fancy memes. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you make of that? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think the community or, or like everyone else should be a judge uh, of, of our memes. And we, we try to like make, make our day more fun with posting various like, um, like memetic pictures, either supporting our projects or even like bashing some situations. Uh, Mati is playing with videos sometimes. So he's like posting this family guy, um, family guy uh, videos with, with like uh, subtitles he, he changed to kind of reflect some, some sort of situation. I mean, we are just playing with it. It's not like, like we, we want to be these like meme driven like investment fund or something like that. We, we really are just having fun and, and it, it kind of brings us closer to the crypto culture and like DeFi or DeGen culture, especially me, which then, you know, it's, 
it's definitely good to speak the same language as, as you know the community because then you you understand it better and you are more connected to it you uh, you have easier time attracting at least some some founders who want to build cool stuff to kind of approach you and not some ivory tower whiskeys all of the time who may have like bigger brand but they take themselves very seriously and they post all these like grand uh, uh, grand theses and and uh, like deep articles which are i mean definitely very interesting to read most of the time but uh, you know you, you kind of see that they want to they want to be up there and we kind of don't or we, we try to be we try to be involved deeply and be the i mean <laughs> it's cliche but we we try to be more of a people's dc or crypto people's vc more than anything but yeah it's 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 nothing serious we're just like memes um it's it's efficient way to communicate ideas and to even help projects with some projects with with marketing if you, if you are good at it um you you see some of these other like some investors or, or like funds sometimes they they try to like create their own memes and it's usually pretty cringe because they are not they don't have the same background they are you know they usually studied some ivy league schools and then they you know they 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 didn't really started off uh, playing poker in some in some basement apartment or anything like it so <laughs> it's definitely harder for them to relate and, and sometimes they are trying too hard yeah i um i really like the style of of the website of z prime looking at it right now it's uh definitely very laid back very fun totally super cool and chilled vcs investing in buzzwords that's <laughs> that's great <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely comes through and and i like that uh you guys are taking an approach where you recognize that uh vc is a changing industry crypto does not need the same type of stringencies and formalities when you know when it comes to you know you think of Andreessen Hurwitz or uh, Sequoia you know these are very respectable firms very institutionalized and but in crypto we're doing kind of something new so it requires kind of a new class of investor and and I think that's kind of what you guys have recognized indeed I mean as I said earlier you know there is this uh, like uh, multiple personality disorder I have like at one hand I really want to be involved with founders and, and like be the good VC and, uh, and be the good support uh, not just like money machine to them at the, on the other I really like playing these crypto games myself um, I don't know how many other crypto VCs are really like every day clicking some farms and like trying some new uh, some new algo coins or something like that but uh, I really enjoy doing it so it's then it's much easier to actually also um, it's a double-edged sword. At one point, it, it makes it much easier for you to like zoom in into the space and like see what's valuable, what's used, and what's not, what's working, what's not in practice. On the other, it kind of if you are zoomed in too much for too long, it, it, you can lose big picture. You can just get um, lost in these games, just you know, clicking farms. And you, sometimes you want to be zoomed out and see see where the space is going, where the where the ball will be next. So you kind of try to do both, or at least I, I feel like I'm like zooming in and out all the time. And sometimes it's like, it's hard for my brain to keep rewiring back and forth. 
but I definitely agree that we will see like new kinds of investors proliferating from uh, from this crypto boom. A uh, lot of barriers will be shattered. A lot of stuff that previously worked some way will stop working, and some new stuff will will replace it. Um, so it's 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 always good to be on the on the front and to to keep changing with with the flow to be water, not to be stuck in in dot com or or in like uh, 2010 plus uh, sort of uh, economic cycle of stocks booming and, and uh, Silicon Valley startups uh, capturing all the traction. I think we will we will see a lot of these things change in the in the roaring twenties. Roaring twenties. <laughs> Speaking of uh, VCs changing, I mean one. Uh, such VC as eGirl Capital, and I think you interact quite a lot with yeah. members from there. Well, do you have any thoughts on, on that project? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure if it's a project. It's just like a bunch of people on Discord shit posting, uh, you know, memeing, and then they organized. I, I wasn't part of that, unfortunately, uh, but they organized uh, some sort of a uh, syndicate or some or some or some funding. Uh, for for alchemics um, and yeah I think this sort of like I would call it like collaboration entity which is soft there is like there is not even a DAO that would like you would have shares and you could vote like you know there is this other project called uh, Metacartel Ventures and they also have a DAO with, with legal entity behind it and and it's something in the middle between the old world and the new one on the, the new like uh, eager capital kind of world, but uh, but eager capital is really like it's a collective of of people who just like to talk about stuff and, and have fun and then like invest in projects and and they they organize themselves around like one or or a couple of projects and they may do it in the future maybe there will be in the future there will be some multi six spin up or, or some some more like a defined structure but right now it's like very loose and very organic and and i think it's for for a lot of things it will be the way forward like people will thanks to crypto like you can coordinate much more easily even with a simple multisig which you just spin up and you already have some sort of a structure that is kind of safe from from anyone uh, unilaterally like let's say stealing funds um and we will see a lot of these like spin up many of them will just like be very short term there will be a couple of memes there will be some new token which will be created and then it will die off but we will maybe see some that will start as like this uh, quick yolo thing and with memes and constant uh, like attention uh, grabbing and some interactions and uh, as this also as these degens get get richer from this cycle they will have more money to play with and do cool stuff we will definitely see some more interesting things coming from the direction uh, I even think that from Eagle Capital itself. I want to uh, move to wrapping up the conversation now, um, but uh, I did some some more research on you, and it seems like you are quite an adventurer. Is that a <laughs> accurate statement? Well, um, yeah, I I think yeah. I, when I was younger, like twenty something, I actually wanted to have it as my bio. Like I am an adventurer. I want to do stuff in the in the world. I want to travel. I want to like. I when I was when I was a kid, I I wanted to be a National Geographic photographer or documentarist. You know, traveling uh, wilderness and just photographing animals and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, definitely um, 
I like to I like to enjoy being outside as well. Uh, not as much these days, like two reasons, like COVID is like is a thing, uh, and the other is that there is a bull market, and I actually <laughs> the adventures online right now are like usually more thrilling than what you can do outside. But but yeah, before I I did scuba diving, I, I did a lot of traveling, uh, backpacking across Asia and stuff like that. So yeah, I. I I would say I'm an adventure. What was or is your favorite adventure? Um, I have many, and they are usually kind of uh, they involve some some drunken stories. And you know, I, one time I, I was I was drunk and I got lost in the jungle at night in Malaysia, um, stuff like that. But <laughs> my favorite, yeah, my favorite, like three-week adventure was on Sri Lanka when when me and one of my friends had a challenge to travel across the whole island in tuk-tuk which is this like small uh tri-wheel tri uh vehicle this local vehicle uh, which is used as taxi um and yeah we we had we had like a lot of fun there you know we we got drunk and traveled all night in tuk-tuk and tuk-tuk broke down uh, we had a, we had a chauffeur we weren't driving of course and and he was trying to repair it in the middle of nowhere and stuff like that it's it's also uh, it's it was it was my younger wilder days um i like mountains as well like hiking in the mountains uh, i was i was in himalayas i want to go back there but right now it's it's harder to do um so yeah, I mean a lot of stuff. I, I actually would I would I like to do regularly if there is a, an opportunity is to uh, go out to the woods to some sort of wilderness uh, with only a couple of things, not even a tent, just you know some waterproof uh, uh, waterproof blanket or something like that, and just you know sleep outside and just hike around the nature and uh, you know uh, get some fish or something if it's possible and, and cook that on the fire. Uh, I did that a lot as well now now less so but hope to go back to it soon what would your girlfriend say about that well i mean i think she maybe she would like to join me but not for too long um but yeah i mean <laughs> i think she she prefers if we if we go on some adventure together on some boat trip or canoe or something but yeah i mean uh, she wouldn't be super happy uh, about me leaving for a week or so but <laughs> I know, I know, still do it. <laughs> fair, fair. Okay. Um, Fiscantis, what is the best way? How would you like people to take action after listening to this conversation? Um, take action. I mean, why? Why? I don't think you should. You guys should take action. I think you should. You should chill more. <laughs> there are so many people on Twitter, in crypto Twitter and in crypto in general, who feel like they need to take constant action with uh, with rebalancing their positions, with aping into new farms. You know, when when my farm is only earning fifty percent and the next one is earning sixty five, I need to rotate my crops and like you need, I need to be there all day and like make sure I don't miss any new pump. And like there is too much action in the space. I think people should take less action and like start maybe to read more to chill more to think more deeply about stuff um then i mean it's it's super hard in this in this cycle where everything fights for your attention and if you are not early then then you are uh, you are a sucker but uh, definitely especially if you if you are here 
like for multiple years and you already made uh, good money to sustain yourself for some time, which I think most of your listeners may, may actually be in that spot or some of them uh, definitely like don't don't take this like, crypto game too seriously. Don't don't spend all your young years like clicking buttons and like chill a bit more. Um, that being said, for those who are like super new and they, they are just currently like starting to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, like it, it won't go anywhere. You may miss some pumps, but you may also save a lot of money if, if, you are, if you are still new and don't know what you are doing. So definitely read a bit more and then involved, get involved in, in, in projects you like, in discords, in, in like telegrams. Uh, read deeply about them. Try to try to use them as a user, or at least uh, interact with with someone who who is a user or who is like team member. Um, learn learn to interact with people to form some sort of a um, loose network around you. Something like eager capital or something is even fine. And just you know, just exchange ideas, uh, discuss uh, interesting topics, and like. Focus more on the information and less on, on the numbers, I would say. Early on, at least, like read stuff from Vitalik, um, listen to podcasts, which, which are not just about, you know, which coin will pump next month, but which actually dive deeper into stuff. So I'm definitely on this like learning path uh, type of uh, advice. This is what I would give, not like buy some coins and just watch them grow. What do you recommend reading and listening to? Do you have any favorites? Um, well, Uncommon Core is a good podcast to listen to from crypto. Um, uh, Vitalik has good blog posts recently. Uh, a book I would recommend everyone who, who wants to be more of a trader or investor in the space is uh, Food by Randomness by Nassim Taleb. He wrote more books, but I think this one is uh, a uh, shortest and b I think the most useful uh, for for like uh, practice of investing. So read full by randomness, um, and then yeah, read my read my tweets. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just kidding. I'm shit posting a lot. Um, I mean, outside of crypto, I think it's it's anything that's that captures your attention for long enough that you'd forget, uh, you forget to sleep and you should dive deep into it. And within crypto, it's definitely some, some deeper research um, when it comes to investing or trading. Um, stop focusing on charts or re don't read too much about how to analyze charts and technical analysis and all this bullshit. Uh, focus on, on fundamentals because even if you if, even if you, I don't know, won't be profitable trader or investor early on, you will still understand how this space works. And like 10 years in the future, when this will be much bigger, you will already have like enough knowledge to be like, uh, to be able to be hired by like almost anyone. Even if, if you don't make it trading or investing for some weird reason, you still want to have this knowledge, which is not only market specific, but also gives you some other angle. And this is actually what I did with, with poker as well. I was never like only focused on poker full time. I always had other hobbies and even some investments and some businesses, most of them failed, etc. But I was still learning something new. I was still 
in connection with people who are not only like poker players, but they also do other stuff. So I could like be exposed to the world outside. I wasn't like, I didn't have a tunnel vision. And I, I think it helps me quite a lot. I mean, if I had a tunnel vision only for poker, maybe I wouldn't be in crypto even because I would just ignore everything else, just try to play my best game and that would be it. And right now I would be much more poorer intellectually and probably even financially. Definitely agree with that. I think that learning crypto, understanding how it works is kind of financial literacy 2.0. I think the idea of like liquidity providing just a concept is going to be so ubiquitous in the future when right now most people have no idea what it even is or how it works technically. Indeed. Learn what is pool two and don't get wrecked. <laughs> pool two. <laughs> Sometimes you got to get wrecked though to learn the. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, Scantus, thank you very much for taking the time today. I definitely learned a lot. I enjoyed and, um, I hope we can do this again in the next few months. Definitely. I enjoyed this. Thank you very much, Gabriel. And cheers.